you got your Bibles, turn into uh, Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And if you're new here, we've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and just make a, a note, maybe you're going to figure this out, but um, we're, we're not going to go over the, the Lord's Prayer. We, we did that kind of last fall or about almost a year ago, and you can go back online if you want to kind of follow all the way through here. But we, we jump to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And I want to read that here to begin with this morning. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that are fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me just pray to begin here today. Father, we come to another passage that your son as he sat and taught these people, but Lord, you're teaching us as well through this text. And so Lord, as we walk through some of these verses, would you just grab our hearts and grab our minds, and would you change us? Would you reveal to us those things that, that you, um, you need to reveal? So we give these few minutes to you, these things we pray in your name. Amen. Listen to verse 16 again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. This is another warning, just like last Sunday, if you were here. This is actually the third warning in this chapter where he goes after the motives of certain behaviors. Last week was giving to the poor and and public prayer and how they wanted everybody to see those things. But I think Jesus here is aware of earthly tendencies. And I think one of those tendencies that we have in our flesh is to do this. We want people to perceive us as righteous people, especially for us that are in the church. But Jesus understands that righteousness is not always about the outside, that it really is about the heart, and that heart is the place where our motives reside, why we do what we do. See, the natural man has the desire to be noticed, to be thought well of. And even one sense we looked at last week, the desire for applause. But that temptation for the applause to be noticed really can lead us down a path, and I began a little bit last week, with this idea that our identity kind of how we view ourselves, is really found in the perception of people praising us and applauding us. Matter of fact, but Jesus kind of is starting to do the same thing even as we begin the text. 
Well, let me put up 17 and 18 on the screen. He begins to turn even here after the Lord's Prayer, just like he did last week. And look how it goes. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. See, just like last week, Really, he's revealing the uselessness of trying to receive our affirmation and our identity from other people. And he's calling us to a different path, a path where I believe true righteousness is found. And how he's doing it, he's revealing the heart and the character of his father. I don't know if you caught this, but it's been kind of stunning for me in studying this last couple of weeks. This theme of father runs all the way through chapter 6 over and over again. And, and what does Jesus want the crowd and for us to do? He wants us to draw near the father. He's saying the father is the rewarder. He'll give us what we need. He, and he wants them and he wants us to value a relationship with the father his father but that plays so deeply into our identity now i ran out on some things i wanted to say last week and one of the things is i hope that you didn't hear me say this is that in one sense that we should just kind of isolate ourselves and throw ourselves you know kind of away from all relationships that we just kind of shrink back and it's only kind of Jesus and me type of thing. And that's not, I understand, that's not biblical either. You know, we are created for longing and we're created to belong to people where we long to be affirmed. We long to be loved and cherished. And so we were made with a desire to be connected and known by other people. But that longing that has to have a proper direction, an object. And that's really what Jesus is getting at. And I think even that longing, by the way, I think it's meant there so we, he's drawing us to himself. But let me just give you an application if you're taking notes here right up front. And I think one of the things we must believe that only the triune God can fully satisfy the longing of being loved and valued. See, and that plays into our identity. And it's a road that we got to stay on and remind ourselves of this truth. Parents, I think one of the challenges is that when you think of your child's identity, are we begin to infuse into their hearts this idea that there is a heavenly father who loves your children and the belief that the Father is a giver, a life giver. Are we communicating that to our kids? Is that where their identity is beginning to get infused with? But understand this. That path of where our identity comes from. Again, a reminder, there's really two ditches on each side of that path. And if you're taking notes, I said this. On one side, we can kind of go out and go, you know what, I don't need people. And I'm going to desire the desire to be loved. And it's kind of like, it's Jesus and me. And you know what? I don't really care. 
And people come to believe that independence is really legitimate. But that's not it either. But there's a second ditch. And it's this. I said, I, I need people to notice and love me. And if they don't, I become a victim. Because they don't care for me. Now, that phrase, you know, like, no one cares for me, that blame is really throwing at other people. And that statement, when people make that statement, what I hear right away that runs through my mind is that they're in the ditch with their identity. They're not basing it on what they view, what God is telling them who they are, and that relationship with God. They're going, it, it comes from people. See, and Jesus here reminds us that the Father, the Father is waiting in a private place even for us, waiting to give purpose and meaning and the certainty of being loved. See, I think he's motivating and he is inviting his listeners really to just understand his Father's heart. And the question, I would go back for you, do you believe that God really is the one, the Father is really the one that can truly meet your needs. In marriages, I end up doing quite a bit with marriages. And one of the things over and over again is when two people are in conflict and they get to a point where where they're really struggling and it's kind of going the wrong direction, there's this idea that they point at each other and go, you're supposed to meet my needs. And there's the demands that keep going that you just hear over and over again. See, God is the Father, is the one to meet our needs as well. But I need to go down another alley here as well that I didn't get to last week. That when one walks in the faith for a while, or maybe if you grow up in a Christian home, and so maybe you've been even taught this very subtly, there's a temptation that can sneak up on us. And I think it's very powerful, and it's so tempting. And I said the great temptation is this, to be doing our faith rather than living our faith in relationship. See, those examples of giving to the poor and even the public idea that I need other people to see me in fasting or even in prayer, faith becomes about doing And you understand, Jesus is challenging their motives there. But think of it this way. You know what? You hear from myself and other people that we're encouraged to serve. We're encouraged to be on committees, to teach Sunday school, to reach out to neighbors. All of these tasks can be great things to be involved with. But sometimes that what can happen? The doing of these activities becomes the essence of our Christian lives. The go, go, go becomes our faith and the activities. And you go, kind of why? You know what? They're tangible. They're measurable. We can receive attention and affirmation from other people when we're doing them. And and matter of fact, even in these, when you think of ministry, you gain horizontal relationships And it's valuable in that sense, and it fulfills the need to be loved and valued. But after a while, I think it can move here, where there's no living and no personable God. There's no Abba Father in our lives. And we go on doing 
and doing, and we subtly shift and build our whole identity on doing. And the Christian life begins to depend then on the performance of tasks. And it can slide where we want then people to notice us, to notice our serving. serving. And our identity then is becoming about accomplishing and getting affirmation, but it's without a relationship with the Father. And I think this is what happens as well. When we don't get that affirmation of the activities that we're doing, I think it can lead to burnout and discouragement. We've taken our eyes off the Father. But see, what do we do when the Holy Spirit reveals that our identity really is just deeply tied up into doing and our faith has little relationship with it? What do we do when the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we're looking just to please ourselves and maybe others and it's really not looking to please the Father? If we're in the ditch in one sense, and I think it's this, we've got to crawl out of the ditch. And let me give you an application that I think is so important. Now, theocentric, that word is just God-centered. But a theocentric life looks to please God first, always knowing that if we fail, he continues to love us because we are his children. See, Jesus is pulling these people to meet his Father to stay out of those ditches. Pursue a heavenly father and his son and receive the father's love and the father's delight in us. Now this doesn't lead, I understand if this is done, it doesn't mean that we're going to just keep on sinning and we can grace just kind of cover us over anything. And you go, no, that's not at all. But we got to get this, that knowing things about God and working for God is no substitute for being with Him. Now, I didn't go over the Lord's Prayer, but, but think of some of the phrases, Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven. Father, Thy will be done. What's it saying? Father, You're in control. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, you are a giver. You are a provider. And we depend on your goodness. Father, lead us not into temptation. What's that? He's the protector of our souls. Do we feel that? See, if we leave God and the Father out of the equation... It really raises a significant question that plays into our identity and how we live life. And there's a hard question, and we're going to get to it even more the next couple of weeks, and let me throw it up there for you, because here's, I think, a very important question. Where does our security come from? See, when life starts to go wrong, it's not so smooth anymore. And you know that if, if you're like me, we desire calmness, stability. Who wants turmoil in our lives? See, I think deep down we want to feel safe, we want to feel significant, we want to feel secure. But that's not found in people patting us on our back. 
And it's not from sports and activities and even doing ministry well enough to get the applause. See then, but where is our identity? Where is security? And then life throws a curveball at us, and, and where do we find that meaning in life? Now here's the challenge in this text. This text actually gets harder because it actually shows another actually an unbiblical option that we try to pursue in living a life. And this plays into our identity, our search for meaning, our purpose, the security that we fight for. And it's completely opposite of what God intended. And it's such a temptation. So understand, as we come to verse 19 to 24, the disciples and the crowd, there's a warning here of a temptation where righteousness will not be found. Let me throw up on the screen a second temptation. From this text, we often seek to receive our affirmation and our value and our identity and our security from possessions and wealth. And here's the deal. It is so deceptive. Because on this path, we try to convince ourselves that it's okay to be on this path, and we talk ourselves into that God is actually walking on this path, path with us. Look, up, look at verse 19. Jesus in this warning is setting up a contrast. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, the world, when you stop and just ponder out there, the world screams this message that the security, by the way, that word security, it's the opposite of anxiety, okay? It is found in having enough. I got a, um, some retirement stuff in the, in the mail here last week. And immediately I opened up. And you know what I started doing? The math. <laughs> okay? And as I got digging into the sermon, I go, oh, that was really stupid. Okay, I was doing exactly what I shouldn't be doing. See, I, this issue of where do we find security? Can we really get it in finances and possessions and all of that stuff? And I look, and here's the deal. I, I think there's, there's ditches on this road of how you walk it. Matter of fact, maybe more than ditches. I think there's cliffs on this one deep chasms on the side of the road. But here's a nuance to this. Remember the sermon here. Jesus here, when it comes to the issue of money and possession, he's not talking to the average crowd out there, the one who doesn't know Christ. Do you realize that this is a deeply religious crowd? This is his disciples. See, these people were concerned about spiritual things. And Jesus comes along and talks about the things that you're trying to treasure on earth. By the way, as I dug, in, your, in the English, the way we translate this few passages, this the layup for yourselves, it's really an awkward translation. And it doesn't translate well and look, digging at it a little bit, there, there's some weight here that we really don't get in the English. 
And in one commentary, it really pointed it out and stated it well. And let me put this on the screen, really how you could translate, don't lay up treasures in heaven. Look at how it goes. It says, do not treasure to yourselves. That's what we kind of miss in the English here. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. What's Jesus really saying? When one treasures the self, one looks to build the treasures for the self. You catch the weight. It's not on the stuff. The weight really is on us treasuring the treasures that we focus on. And then we build the treasures for the self. Now, how might we know that we're treasuring something that might be illegitimate? Let me give you some options for your notes. Letter A. What are some, what are we most often thinking about? It gives a hint as to what our treasures really are. Letter B. What do we spend our time working towards owning or keeping? You see, that speaks to our treasure. That we're wanting to treasure us. Letter C, what are the things that we must have? Must have. I gotta have a convertible, a Mustang. No, it's winter here. Letter D, what do we believe that we must keep? Do you catch why these statements really are connected with what we treasure? But when you think of it practically, don't even think of always just possessions for us. It can be the latest fashion, technology, success in business, an easy retirement, a lovely home, a perfect body. It could be power and control over others that we treasure, power and control over the circumstances. See, this treasuring, this idea of treasuring ourselves... It comes back to this, where are we giving our affections and passions and what really is our heart set on? See, we pour our passions and affections and longings into that which is the most important for us. And then you think about the level if it happens to be a bunch of stuff. Do you know where the stuff leads to? A whole bunch of time and effort taking care of the stuff, doesn't it? But why are we tempted to treasure things and earthly things to treasure ourselves? I think ultimately that Jesus understands that there's something deeper going on here. It's not just the stuff. See, I think there's another level here. There's something more at the heart level that we believe that stuff and wealth will give us. Uh, This isn't on your notes, but I'm going to put it on the screen so that you read it here. I I think this is the reality of our hearts at times. We treasure the feeling of well-being. We treasure the feeling of being valuable. We treasure the feeling of being important. And we treasure the feeling of security. All of those things are rooted in our identity, in where it comes from, where we think meaning will come from. 
See, I think we want to hold on to things in our lives to make sure that we count and be sure of our identity. So we treasure material wealth and power and beauty because we think that they hold to the key what is deeper into our lives for meaning, for purpose. See, I think we want our wealth to give us the security that we crave to have. We, we want life to work smooth. So let's make sure that we have enough stuff so that life can be smooth. And we convince ourselves that wealth and possessions and lifestyles are going to guarantee that deep down we think it's going to keep us from suffering and that life will be smoother that way. And that we, maybe this, we can put off the eternal coming. We can grow old, really, really old, and won't die. See, but Jesus and the Father, folks, he wants our hearts. And it still is that huge question as to whom and what are we giving our affections. But here's what I believe. I think we can live split personalities. Kind of a dual personalities. Because I think we really think at times we can have meaning in all the stuff and we can have the possessions and we can focus on that and we still can convince ourselves that our meaning is found in a triune God. The stuff, the possessions, the security that they give. And then you have the Father over here. We think that they, we can merge those, those two into some kind of a road. And look at what, what verse 24 says. Let me put that on the screen. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to, that word devoted, giving our affections, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I'm convinced that we lie to ourselves at times and we say, I can, I can do the, the money stuff and I can have God, the Father. You know, I'm turning 60 this year. Um, don't necessarily feel it. I, I'm sure I look it. Uh, but the conviction here, even as I was studying this week, am I going to let my affections and my longings begin to slide toward retirement. See, as we get older, some of your younger ones, you're not there yet, but as for us that are a bit older, don't we have to admit that we look forward to retirement and the goal really is comfort? If we admit, admit it, the goal is pleasure and easy life. And doesn't the flesh well up within us when you open that statement up and you go, I deserve to have fun in the coast. We deserve it. Isn't that if we admit it? But, but listen to this statement. My desire when I hit 65, I need to begin to coast and live within the kingdom of heaven. And you go, that's stupid. And, and as I was pondering this, uh, where we spend our, give our affections to, um, the, the, the challenge for me, and, and this is going to sound harsh, I'm a boomer, and the builders were my parents, the generation that came before me. I'm not convinced that the boomers and builders have done a very good job of modeling finishing strong within the kingdom of heaven. 
In a previous church, we had well over 100 adults in that, in that retirement um, area. And I could point to a number of them where you'd look at them and go, they are finishing strong. But you know what? It wasn't the norm. It was not the norm. You hear this phrase, I've done my time at church, now it's time for someone younger to serve. See, if you believe that your concept of the church has little to do with making disciples and working for the kingdom of heaven. See, if my grandchild, my children, grandchildren don't see me continue to have the great commandment as the center of my life and to be working in the kingdom to make disciples, something is wrong with me. If I don't continue on the mission of making disciples, I I, I came across a, a really a good definition of disciples. And here's what it is. Helping others who are far from God become close to God. That's disciple making. But if my grandchildren don't see me loving God, if they see me loving pleasure and comfort, and what I'm doing, I'm modeling to them something unbiblical, and I'm probably self-deceived. So I have to ask with my son and my daughter, my grown kids, Will they see me as effective in multiplication and disciple-making? Helping people, continue to help people who are far from God come closer to God. Will they see that of my life? And I ask the question, how do we do that if we focus on comfort and coasting? How does that fit on our stuff? See, see the tension for us that are older, but even younger. See, see I, I think we convince ourselves that we can live a dual life. Our meaning comes from what we have, our possessions, our retirement, and our meaning comes from God, the Father. And he's saying, you can't serve both. It's an either-or here in this text, and that's why it's so hard. And I ask the question, why do... Do I think we buy into that dualism? I, I presented something to some of the students who were, I'm just meeting with some of them that are wanting to learn a little bit where I'm out ministry after Wednesday nights, and I, I gave them three options. I want to put those on the screen. We use this phrase, a, that letter A there, a disciple of Christ. Kind of living a religious life and a church-filled life. And letter B there, a disciple who disciples others. See, in this category, if we claim a faith, it means that we're intentional about taking people who are far from God and connecting them to the Father. And it's intentional to help people who are far from God come close to God. And the third category there, a disciple disciples in such a way that we'll turn around and they will turn around and disciple others. It's a multiplication piece to it. It's not just addition, it's multiplication to expand the kingdom. But here's what I think people have come to believe. That letter B and letter C are for pastors and missionaries. And it's not. 
See, Jesus says when transformation takes place, we begin to have a passion for other people to come closer to God. And as we grow in our faith, those two things should become crashing into each other and we should be feeling the weight of it. At times of going, what's getting in the way from helping people move from far from God to become closer to God? And I think what happens is this, is if you default and just say, I'm a disciple of Christ, and you, you, you stay in that A, cat, that A category, I, I think it's much easier to live a double life. And I think it's much easier where we serve God and money. And here's what we've got to do. We've got to grow in our faith. He wants us to live within the kingdom of heaven. A type of righteousness that is so different than what the world says. And we need young people seeing that in older people in our lives. See, I think it's pretty easy to function and claim we please God and still emphasize the stuff. I gotta quit. It's time for communion. I'll ask the elders to come on up here. But as they're coming up, just a reminder that do you realize the heart of the Father? The heart of the Father is represented in this communion table. And the purpose of this communion table is that God would take, the Father was inviting those who are far from himself to meet his Son, that they would enter into relationship with him, the Father. That's what communion really is about. And the Father is looking to raise up a people, a holy nation, a bride that would love him and the Son. And that we would so focus on the Father that people would see this in us and we could exclaim to the world the excellencies of God in Christ. I'm going to ask the elders to hand out the bread. But as they're doing so, here's what I would ask you to do. is just to pause and allow the Holy Spirit to work and go, is my life cross-centered, the cross-centered? Is it the great commandment? Am I looking to slide? Am I focused on the treasures that are treasuring me, the stuff? That's my focus right now. Is that really where it's at? And and just confess that and get up on that road and say, Father, I want to meet you.